heaven. He has made himself available to live in us so that we come home to heaven. He has made himself available to live in us so that we would be, he has made himself available to live in us so that we would be overwhelmingly more than conquerors. How many of you, you don't have to answer this, you here, you at home, have had any challenges recently? I know, that, that, was, that was not fair for me to ask that. I, I know we all have. But, you know, those are, those are I, I preached a message years ago called Advertunity. It's adversities that are opportunities for us to see God and overcome. And uh, as the days go on, we're going to have more opportunities that are adversities to be able to overcome so that not only will we show what God's able to do, people are going to see the difference between your life and their life if they don't have God or if they have God and they're not trusting God. And uh, it's, it's, it's intended that people would see Christ in us. The Bible says that's the hope of glory. It would draw people to the Lord. And if they're already part of his family, that they would be more committed and connected with God than ever before. And we know in these days that there are a variety of things going on that are challenging. Uh, but God's up for the challenge. And he wants you to be up for the challenge too. Because not only does he have us to overcome, but he has people to be reached. We've been, we've been learning about uh, revival and unity and, and love. And today we're continuing on uh, uh, talking about unity and how, how important unity is. Um, we, we looked at Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 and how revival requires unity. And the unity that, that is necessary is really two parts. It's a reuniting with God and then reuniting with each other. Building and maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace is what the scripture says. And so we, we have that opportunity, but we have to work at it. How many of you know unity doesn't come easy? Right? If you're going to stay united with somebody that's different than you, you got to work at it. I was talking to somebody this week that was, was sharing with me how um, they realized that marriage takes a lot of work. And then they said, but it's worth it. And, and it is. Debbie and I, Debbie has been married to me for 40, 44 years. She, she has great rewards. But, you know, it was, and I'm sure it's, it's true of some, it was, it was challenging in the beginning because we were both living our own lives and, and came together and began to live this life in covenant with each other where God had for us to put the other one first, to, to care for the other one before we cared for ourselves. And, and we weren't really prepared for that. But we've learned, and Debbie has been so good to me, and I've tried to be so good to her, um, and we're still learning, but it's, it's something that's amazing. And, and that unity is not just something that is to be sporadic in our life. We, as part of the body of Christ, of the kingdom of God, God has for us to be united. First and foremost, uh, we're to be united with him. And that's what Jesus prayed when he prayed in John chapter 17, verse 21 and 23. He, he prayed that we would be one in 
him and the Father, and then we would be one together as the body of Christ. And then the result is what many times we think of revival as, that the world would believe that God sent Jesus. But that's a, a, a product of our uniting with God and united with one another. But to have unity, we've got to have love. We've got to walk in love because we all know that people are different than us. We, we look for people to think the way we think and value what we value and do what we do. And, and it doesn't always happen that way, does it? No. And so those are, those are moments where we have some opportunity for division, but we're to walk in love so that that division will not be increased, but the unity will be maintained. And today we're going to continue on. We, we looked at, at Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, that talks about how love, love is, is what binds us together in perfect unity. And verse 14 of Colossians 3 in the NIV, it says this, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Another translation says, clothe yourselves in love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And so love is a key to this. We found out a couple of weeks ago in 1 Peter 4, 8, what love does, that love covers a multitude of sins. And it's talking about the sins that people perpetrate against us. And we all have that happen in various quantities and, and uh, frequencies. That, that things are done to us that are not what God would have. And if they're done to us, how many of you know we do those to, things to other people too? And we want people to be merciful with us, don't we? Okay. Time out. Those of you here, I'm looking for feedback. This is interactive. So uh, I'm, I'm going to ask questions. You can respond. But anyways, God has for us to, to really walk in this love because things are going to be done to us that he didn't intend for us to do because people have free will. Every one of us has a free will to choose to do whatever we want to do to whomever we want to do it. And yet God intended for us to love all people just as he has loved us. And so when somebody does something to us that is not what God intends, it's going to irritate us or it's going to injure us. Is that right? And, and all of us have had irritations and maybe injuries this week. But we've had it throughout our lives. And if you don't deal with it, it's like a splinter that you don't deal with. What happens when that, that object that isn't supposed to be there is there? It, it begins to get painful. It could become infected. It becomes more pronounced than ever before. It becomes more of a focal point in our lives than ever before. And so we have to remove it. Now, we learned about this, this scripture where it says love covers a multitude of sin. And how the word covers means to wrap or encapsulate, encase or surround. And, and what it's talking about, the example that we used was an oyster making a pearl. When an oyster has an irritant or something that's injuring it, when it comes into it, it starts to surround it with what eventually becomes what? A pearl. And what is a pearl? Yeah, it's, it's something that's beautiful 
and valuable. Now, understand this. We can learn from that in the fact that if we will deal with whatever irritation or injury that comes to us, we will deal with it in love the way God has for us to love. Then what has been something that has irritated or injured us will become something beautiful and valuable. And that's what the Bible says. God works all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. When we love God, when we're walking in what he has for us to walk in, then it doesn't matter how bad it starts out. Not that, it, that God doesn't care. He cares. But it may start out really bad. Really traumatic, but God, if we'll allow God and his love start to surround that, we choose to surround that situation, that irritation, that injury with love, it becomes one of the most beautiful and valuable things in our lives. Now that, that just doesn't make sense, but it's still a kingdom principle. And today we're going to look at what that love is like. What, we, what do we surround these irritants, these injuries with? We're going to see this today, but before we do, we're going to pray. So if you just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're always with us. And Father, you can do so much more than we can do ourselves. And yet, oftentimes, I'm guilty. I think we're all guilty of, of trying to just do things on our own. Even though you're there and you care and, and you long to be involved in what's going on in our lives. Father, we need you. We need your word. We need your spirit. We need your life filling us and flooding us to overflowing. And so today we look to you. Father, I ask you to use me to speak your word that would be life and health to those who find it. Thank you for healings today. Thank you, Father, for your word that's truth that brings deliverance and freedom. Thank you, Father, for your word that's a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, that there's illumination and revelation that would bring transformation to us. Father, we want to be different after we've heard your word. We thank you that there is something you have for each one of us here today. Lord, I pray that every heart here, online, wherever they are hearing your word, would recognize, would receive and respond to the word you have for them today. That, Father, our lives would be transformed. That we would go from glory to glory. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So, talking about love and how it covers a multitude of sin. And, and how important that love is that it unites us in, in perfect unity. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, preceding verse 14, when it refers to those things that, that we need to walk in, but above all love... It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So this is what we're to put on. This is, this is the characteristics. It is how love is experienced and expressed. This is, this is how we live this, this love out. This is what we choose to surround those irritants and those injuries with so that what was once damaging and deadly becomes beautiful and valuable. And we began to look at compassion and kindness. I hope you all have been reading your word for use today. Uh, it, it 
the last two days have been dealing with kindness. It's been very insightful and very good. But we started out last week on humility, and uh, we're going to continue in humility because it's something that is very, very important in the kingdom of God, but it's also something that's very lacking in the world we live in. We don't see a lot of humility. And, and yet in the kingdom of God, it is, it is a key characteristic of Christians because it's a key characteristic of God. But humility is a state or quality of being free from pride or arrogance, a lowliness of mind, having a modest estimation of one's own worth, while also showing respect and value to others. Now, that's another aspect of this. When, when we walk in humility, we respect and value other people, but that is so lacking in our society today. Most people don't, don't respect other people, don't value other people, won't listen to other people, won't consider other people. And yet the Bible says we're to esteem others as better than ourselves. We're supposed to value all people regardless of their state in life, regardless of their economic level, regardless of their ethnic background. It, it doesn't matter. Every person is valuable, and we should be ones who show that value to them. And so in the kingdom of God... It is one of those key characteristics. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 shows us this. In, in two different versions, we're going to read this today. The New Century Version and the New... Our God. I can't remember what the GNT stands for, but that's all right. Good news translation. Thank you. Uh, so in the New Century Version, it, it says this. The Lord has told you, human, what is good. Now, if God says it's good, it's good. He has told you what he wants from you. So we ought to be very, very aware and, and making this important. To do what is right to other people, love being kind to others, and live humbly obeying your God. So this is, this is, this is what God has for us, to do what is right for other people. We don't see a lot of that going on. Love being kind to others. Again, something that seems to be not real prevalent in our society and it should be abundant in the church. And then to live humbly obeying your God. Now, the next translation says, no, the Lord has told us what's good. He requires of us, what he requires of us is this, to do what's just, to show constant love and to live in humble fellowship with our God. So we see right here that humility is one of those key things that God says is good and it's required. And yet if we don't make an effort and be intentional about what God has said, how many of you know we slide back into old habits real quick? Yeah. And we weren't trained by God from the beginning. We grew up in the world, in the world's ways. And the world's ways are self-focused, selfish and the kingdom of god is selfless and that's where we have a whole new way of walking in but we don't do it automatically it has to be intentional initially and so we we're to live in this humility and and this humility is part of what love is that causes revival to happen and a person that was used greatly in revival was martin luther he, he affected thousands upon thousands of people. God used him in, in revival. 
And, and Martin Luther, when revival was occurring and people were turning to God like never before and attributing it to him, he was heartsick and appalled when the people who were learning from him began to say and call themselves Lutherans. Now, this is a quote that I found uh, that when this happened, he said, do not call yourselves Lutheran, but Christians. Why should I give my meaningless name to Christ's children? Here's a man that's impacting thousands upon thousands of people, and yet he still has the correct perspective that this is is not about a human being. This is about God. And do we not have a tendency when, when people do things that impact our lives or do what we consider amazing, don't we tend to want to elevate them? We start to put them up. And, and there, is, there is a problem with that because when we elevate people, we're setting ourselves up and them up for disappointment. There's only one that needs to be lifted up, and that's Jesus. He's the only one that's perfect. God works through imperfect people, and we need to recognize. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. The whole point was, okay, if you see Christ in me, then keep on following Christ. That's who we need to recognize. When, when God does what he does, he does it through people, but it's still God. We need to give the glory to God. Amen? And so uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, uh, it says this. In whatever you do, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. Be humble and honor others more than yourselves. So we're being encouraged and exhorted to go upstream from the world. The world is flowing with selfishness and pride. And, and God's word says that's not the way. Don't, don't let that be your guide, but be humble and honor others more than yourselves. Now, That's not our normal human response. We want honor. We want people to value us. This is what, you know, all the things that are on the Internet that like us, that's, that's, they want to know that they're valued. I understand, but you're not going to have everybody value you all the time. Hello? And you know what? We're fickle. We as human beings are a real fickle group. We see it even with Jesus. On Palm Sunday, what was everybody shouting? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then just a week later, crucify him, crucify him. This is what they were doing to God. What do you think they'll do to us? Or what will do to us? That's where we can't, we can't live for everybody's approval, but we can live for the glory of God because no matter what we do, God will always love us. God will never turn his back on us. He's always there for us. And, and so in this, we need to be humble and honor others more than ourselves. And it, it is almost counterintuitive. If I'm humble and I honor others, then they're going to run over me and I'm going to be left behind. But that's not the case. Not the case at all. 
When you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the Bible says in due season, he'll lift you up. We see this in Jesus' life. The, one of the greatest examples of, of humility is Jesus. Throughout his life, he was humble. And he lived that humility. And today we're going to look at Jesus' life and we're going to see just how that, that played out in one instance. In John chapter 13, verse 2 through 5, it says this. Now, I want to set this up. This is when Jesus was having the Last Supper. Okay, He had gathered the disciples together. He knew his time uh, was near to go to the cross. And so he had gathered the disciples together. They were in the upper room. They're, they're having a meal. And uh, the environment was real light and no stress. And you believe that? What do you think the, the environment was like in, in that moment of time? Yeah, it was pretty intense. Uh, it, 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 there was a lot of tension, a lot of stress. There was a lot going on because there was a lot at stake. And yet Jesus said, hold on, I, I want to have some time with you. I want to have a meal with you. So that's the environment. And, and so we start reading. It says it was time for the supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Okay, this is just a snapshot, but this is showing us an amazing thing. In this moment, Jesus knows he's going to go to the cross. Jesus knows what is ahead. Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him. Do you think Jesus knows what the other disciples are going to do? Yeah. He, he warns Peter, right? What's he tell Peter? Before the cock crows three times, you're going you're, you're to betray me. And, and so he knows this, but he says, don't worry, I've prayed for you. Right? Other disciples are going to abandon him when he's on the cross. They aren't there. So... These are the people that are there, but these are also the people. Weren't these the same guys that were always arguing about who's going to be great? No, I'm going to be great. Who's, I'm going to sit next to him at the right side of his right hand of his throne. What a bunch of goofs. I'm so glad because they're just like me. And yet, in this moment, there are things that we may not understand because it's not common custom in our society. But whenever you went to a meal, you went to somebody's house, there was always a basin by the, the door and a towel, a specific towel that was the towel that the lowest servant in the household would use for every guest that would come into the house. And some of this is still part of what goes on in, in other, other countries, other societies, where you walk in the house and you take your shoes off. Well, in those days, you didn't have shoes like we have shoes. You had sandals. And, and when they were walking, that was most people's form of transportation. They would walk down the roads, but the roads weren't paid. There weren't sidewalks. The roads were dirty. Many times sewage would be going down the roads. There were definitely animal droppings in the road. And, and your, your feet would be filthy. 
And so what would happen is when you came into a home, the lowest servant in that household would come immediately, take the basin, wash your feet, and dry your feet so that you could walk in clean. Now, Jesus has all the disciples there. There doesn't seem to be a servant there. And all of a sudden, he gets up. And he got, doesn't go over to the basin and to the towel and say, hey, one of you guys, come on, right now. You need to do this for everybody. Jesus later on in this, this same chapter says, you call me teacher or rabbi and Lord, and you should. So where was Jesus in, in the realm of his standing with all of them? He was at the top, right? And yet what's he do? He stands up, he takes off his robe, he puts on the towel of that servant, the lowest position, it's an indicator of he's taking the lowest position. And then he begins to wash everybody's feet. Now, I don't know about you. I know that I've had my feet washed a few times. And it's something that some churches do on a regular basis. We have done it at times, but it has been very infrequent. But when I had one of the most impacting moments in my life was when I had gone to Haiti. And we had to go out to the villages, to the meetings and things like that. And we were there, one of the times was during the rainy season. And you walked to many of the villages. And as we walked out to the village, you'd carry your shoes. Because if you didn't, you might lose them in the mud. Because the roads that you went out on were just that. They were mud. They were basically two ruts with deep mud and a lot of water. And, and we'd walk out there, have the meeting, come back. And when we came back one time, uh, another, another brother, Gerard, he and I were walking back together. It was at night. We got back after everybody else. We were just walking slow and talking. And the next thing, we got into the compound and somebody came up to us and said, Hey, I, I need you to come over here with me. And we were like, what? We're tired. We just want to go to sleep. We got to get cleaned up first. And, and this person said, well, come on over here. Just have a seat. And we walked over. And as we walked over to the bench, we noticed this bucket and this towel. And I have to tell you, immediately in me, my response was, no, I'm not letting you do this. Because... This is, this is nasty, and I don't deserve it. And you shouldn't have to do this for me. And yet the heart of this missionary that was there that met us said, no, uh, I know God wants me to bless you. Was, it was one of the most humbling things in my life because I felt Nobody should have to do this for me. I should take care of this myself. And yet God had somebody there to do something that he wants us to do for each other. You 
In this situation, Jesus does this for his disciples. And it had to be a mark in their lives where they realized, oh my gosh, here's our teacher, here's our Lord that's doing this for us. Later on, Jesus says, I've given you an example. Do this for one another. And you know, we don't have to do this the way because of the way they did it and because of what they were dealing with. But you know, we get, we get, we get kind of dusty and dirty and encased in some of the crap that's in the world. And I hope you don't mind me using that word. And we need to be cleaning each other. Not, not condemning each other. But Jesus does two things, and it's, it's very important. It says that he rose up and he took off what? His robe. Now, that doesn't seem to mean anything if you read over it real quickly. But his robe was really valuable. Because later on we read at the foot of the cross, the Roman soldiers seeing how nice it was, how valuable it was. They didn't want to cut it. They said, somebody has to have this. We'll gamble for it. Whoever gets it will get it. So he takes off something very valuable, uh, very beautiful, and he lays it aside. And then he puts on this towel. It's very much like what Jesus did when he left heaven. Jesus took off all heaven had for him and laid it aside to come into the world as our servant, as a servant serving the Father, but also serving you and me to lay his life down as a sacrifice for us. He took the lowest place, even though he was the highest, to show us how we too. Didn't Jesus say, he who is greatest in the kingdom is servant of all. See, in the world, when you're great, everybody serves you. In the kingdom, when you're great, you're willing to serve God and serve others. Very, very different. Very different. But in this situation, Jesus, Jesus does this for the disciples. They realize what he's doing to a degree. And then he commissions them to do this for each other. Serve each other. Don't, don't lift yourself up. Be willing to become great in the kingdom by serving others. Humble enough to see value and honor others no matter what's going on in their life. Because when that happens... It is such an anomaly that it causes people to pause for a moment. Just like it caused me to pause when that, that missionary was going to wash my feet. I, I, I balked at it. Peter balked at it. But it's something God has an opportunity to use in people's lives. Now, we can look at Jesus and say, well, you know, Jesus, he always did the right things. And, you know, I'm, I'm not Jesus but we, we also, I mentioned last week, Moses. And I mentioned Moses out of Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, and how he was, he was very humble. He was the most humble of all men on the face of the earth, and we can see this right now. 
It says, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. That's humble, right? Uh, that's an amazing statement. Now, this is a human being, not even with the spirit of God dwelling in him like you and I have as believers, but he was very humble. And, and how, does, how does that humility show out? Well, in context, we're going to go back to verse 1 and start reading in verse 1 of chapter 12, and it says this. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman, or the Cushite, whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, Miriam and Aaron, who were they? Anybody know? The family, brother and sister of Moses. This is, this is his flesh and blood. And what are they doing? They're talking bad about him, trash talking him. That's only Moses' family. You know what? It happens far too often. God doesn't want that because all of that is division. That division, when division is there, a house divided, a city divided, a kingdom divided, a nation divided, a church divided, a family divided, will not stand. And the enemy is behind that. But it says Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. And then it, it says why they were speaking. They were speaking because he had married an Ethiopian or a Cushite. Now, Zipporah, his wife, there, there are two trains of thought by scholars that Zipporah, Moses' wife, had died. She was an Ethiopian woman. She was a Cushite. And he married another Ethiopian woman, Cushite. Or that she hadn't died and they were dredging us something that was way in the past. And so they're making this, this issue and they're talking about Moses and they're talking him down. But then we see what the real issue is. Sometimes you hear a lot of things that people are saying and it's not really the issue. You have to get below the stuff that's on the surface to get to the real issue. And we see in verse 2 what the real issue is. And so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? So what was going on? What was Miriam and Aaron's beef? Jealousy. You know, they were, they, were, they were envious of how everybody talked about Moses and how great they thought, well, Moses isn't the only one here. Isn't that something we all deal with? Well, I, I know they're good, but what, what about me? What about me? Don't you like me? Now listen. God had spoken through Aaron, had used Miriam. They all had their place, but God had a place for Moses, and Moses' place was not Miriam or Aaron's. And Miriam and Aaron's place was not Moses. God has a place for all of us, and in, because we have this skewed perspective of what's great, because we have the world's view of what's great, we think, well, you know, if I could just be like Billy Graham. I'm telling you, you, you don't want to have the responsibility that Billy Graham had. All you have to do is be you. You 
be you because God made you you. Right? You can't be somebody else, but you can be the best you God has for you to be and not envy anybody else because if you'll be faithful and humble and loving in what God's called you to, you'll get the same reward that not just Billy Graham got, Paul got, Peter got, all these people that God used. If you'll be faithful to God where God has you humbling yourself and submitting yourself to God, your reward will be as great because of your obedience, because of your humility. But they were, they were, they were talking about Moses and they're, they're being catty about him. And look what it says in the last part of verse 2. And the Lord heard it. I remember talking to my brother about stuff and talking bad to him and, and finding out that my dad was right at the door behind my back. And when I knew he heard it, it was like, oh, man. <laughs> Wish I could take those words back. But the Lord heard it. And then verse 3 says, And now the man Moses was very humble more than all men who were on the face of the earth. That's the context. This situation is not good. It's something that could be volatile. It could be explosive. It could be just so divisive in the family. And it goes on in verse, verse 4 to say this. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out. You three to the tabernacle of meeting. So all three came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision and I speak to him in a dream. Not so with who? Uh-oh. Not so with my servant. Now, do you know the Bible says that we're not to ever judge another man's servant? So I have a question for you this morning. You at home, you here. Who are you serving? Are you a servant of the Lord? The Bible says everything that we do, we should do as unto the Lord. If you're a servant of the Lord, nobody should be judging you. And whoever judges you, you don't have to be concerned because God's the final judge. But he says, not so with my servant Moses. Now he says, he is faithful in all my house. Another translation says, he has the run of my house. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I speak to him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses. Now, folks, you know as well as I do that people are going to speak against you. We all have that happen. And, and we can either trust God in it. You know, if somebody comes to you and, and starts to accuse you of something, you can speak up for yourself. But when somebody starts to speak to everybody else about you, I want you to understand there, there are ways that don't work. If you try and follow that person to everybody that they've spoken to and try and convince them that what they said was not true, most of the time it's going to backfire. Because those that don't know you will believe anything about you. 
But those that do know you won't believe things that are not true about you. So you leave it to the Lord. You trust God. The Bible says he's your advocate. He can defend you. He can defend you better than you can defend you. It goes on to say, So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. And then Aaron turned towards Miriam and there she was a leper. Now leprosy in that day was, was really a sentence of isolation. You were considered an outcast. When, when a leper walked through, uh, and they couldn't come through the city. They had to go around cities. Whenever they were walking, they would have to shout out, unclean, unclean, so people could have the opportunity to move aside. They were, they were expelled from their families, from their homes. It was, it was a sentence of isolation. And all of a sudden, here's Miriam. She has this, it was the lowest of the low of society. And Miriam goes from where she thinks she's at the top and she goes to the bottom. The Bible says that if you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of, Lord, of the Lord, in due season he will lift you up or exalt you. But, you know, when we, when we lift our own selves up, many times there's a humbling that's coming. And so this, this happens and all of a sudden... Aaron sees his sister. Moses sees his sister. Miriam is there. She is now unclean. Uh, we find out later that, that she be, is healed. The leprosy leaves. But in that moment in the, this chapter, and you can read it later, uh, it, it says that in that moment, Aaron recognized their sin. He repents to Moses, and he says, we've sinned against you. Do something. Now, I don't know about you, but in that moment, I, I tend to put myself in positions in the Bible, in the stories, and think, what would I do? I'm telling you, in that moment, I would be sorely tempted to say, what? You want me to do something about this? Weren't you talking about me? That's just my flesh. Just like we all have. But we see Moses' response in verse 13. It says this. Moses cried out to the Lord, please heal her, O God, I pray. This is... Minutes in time, God departs, Miriam is leprous, Aaron looks at her, he is just beside himself. Then he looks at his brother Moses and he says, man, we've done wrong. We've sinned against you. Forgive us. We repent. Please do something about this. And Moses, humble, most humble, wraps that injury, that irritation, that insult 
in love. And he immediately prays. No hesitation, no coaxing. He prays for his sister. Now, I want you to understand, well, you know, that's just family. You always pray for your family. Not everybody prays for their family, but we should. No matter what they've done to us. But this happened throughout the book of Numbers in Moses' life where the children of Israel would rise up, the whole congregation, or in one case, it was hundreds of noblemen that were wrong, that were in judgment, that rose up against Moses and Aaron, and their response, they fell on their face before God. They would pray. That shows the humility. They didn't react in kind. And church, we need to recognize that there is a tendency for us as human beings to just give what we got. But there is a higher way to live. To live the life of love that God has for us to live. The love that we've been loved with, we need to love others with. And then begin to coat those irritations, those injuries, those insults. In humility, pray for those. Pray for those that use you and despise you and persecute you and bless them. Isn't that what the scripture says? But it's only going to happen because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. It's not an automatic. It's something that we intentionally shift to, to say, God, have your way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. I'm not going to follow me. I'm going to humbly submit myself to you instead of being entangled in the sin that my flesh wants to get into. Because when we go the way of the world, we move into the realm of, the, of sin. And when we sin, the results are death. We sow to the flesh, the Bible says, we reap corruption. So in this, he prays. He prays. Church, we need to be quick to pray, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because the anger of man does not, does not produce the righteousness of God. One last, last scripture I'm going to share with you, and that is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. It's not going to be up on your screens. But Peter, Peter, Peter knew what it was like to miss the mark, to fall short, to, to do something that was not what God told him to do, and yet he was humbly, when Jesus rose from the dead and when he was here on the earth for the days that he was afterwards, Peter knew, man, you know, I've, I've, I've denied the Lord. And yet when the women were at the, the tomb and met Jesus, Jesus said, tell the disciples to meet me and tell Peter. Tell Peter to be there. God didn't look to rebuke him. He looked to restore him. And, and we, we need to operate in that same humility to look to restore one another. But First Peter chapter 3, and Peter understood what it meant to be restored, to, to be shown the mercy and the compassion and the kindness that comes from humility. It says this, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love is brothers. 
Keep a humble attitude, not returning evil for evil, nor retaliation for ins- or insult. Pay them back with a blessing. Well, God, I don't know if I can do that. That seems really hard. And, and they're going to think they just got away with it. Listen to what the word, word of God says. That is what God has called you to do. Pay them back with a blessing, not evil for evil or retaliation or insult for retaliation or insult. Pay them back with a blessing. That's what God's called you to do, and he will. How many of you know if God says he'll do something, he'll do something? It says he will bless you for it. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. It's important for us to realize as Christians that we're not looking for a return from other people because they'll never be able to give back to you the way God can. When we walk the way God has for us to walk, when we walk in love and humility, that, that humility of love that coats these insults, these injuries, these irritations that people have, have perpetrated on us, all of a sudden what has been devastating and damaging and destructive as love begins to coat them and cover them it becomes beautiful and valuable we grow through it we become more like Jesus than ever before and people are drawn to him and that's really what this is all about this is about us being a witness not just talking about Jesus living the Jesus life living the life of love where he he who is love is seen in our lives in every aspect and area because the Bible says that love never fails. But it only comes from him and through him. And today here in, in the congregation, you at home, I'm just asking you, if you have ever with intention recognize who Jesus is and what he's done, that he came into this world and lived a sinless life and gave his life up willingly to pay the price for our sin, suffered on the cross and died and was raised from the dead, glorious and victorious. And and he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven and he's ruling and reigning. But he also wants to, to reign in our hearts. To, to guide, to govern us so that we don't fall into the traps and the pitfalls that the world has taught us that will rob from us instead of enrich our lives. If you've never turned to Christ and trusted in Christ, I'm going to invite you to pray with me today. You here in, in, in the sanctuary, you at home. Uh, let's just pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who came into this world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the price for my sin, was raised glorious and victorious. And today, Lord Jesus, I recognize your lordship. From this day forward, I invite you to be Lord of my life. I receive your forgiveness for my sins and cleansing me. I am yours 
You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.